Is Bitcoin a scam? We get loads of questions about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And if you've listened to previous podcasts, I think I've made my position on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general fairly clear. But the opinions on cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin, can be as volatile as the price. So on today's podcast, we debate whether Bitcoin is a scam or a genuine investment. I hope you find today's debate interesting. And as with all Medics Money podcasts, the information is for entertainment only and definitely does not constitute any form of financial advice. With any investment, you could get back less than you put in. And that's especially true with extremely volatile, unregulated investments like cryptocurrencies. The opinions expressed here represent those of the individual's concern and do not reflect the opinions of Medics Money. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and it really helps us if you leave us a rating and a review. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome back to the Medics Money podcast, Dr. Abdullah Albiati. Hi, mate. How are you? I'm good, Tommy. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on today. So if you haven't listened to um, your previous episode that you did, uh, episode 10, I think it was, do you want to tell our listeners why you know so much about Bitcoin and why you're more than qualified to talk about it today? Okay, that's a very uh, kind intro by you. So essentially, I wear different hats. So from the medical side of things, um, I'm a GP. I work in Leeds. I'm also the chair of the Royal College of General Practitioners Yorkshire faculty, and I sit on the uh, LMC in Leeds as well, our local medical committee. So that's the kind of clinical side out of the way, and I'm obviously still clinically active. From a kind of business perspective, uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of two health tech companies, one called Medical Chain and one called My Clinic. And essentially, we focus on empowering patients to have access to their medical records. And we set up a free telemedicine service, which has been used in over 78 countries around the world. Uh, which really peaked in popularity, obviously, when COVID came along. The third bit, and I bet, you know, the reason why I'm here today is to talk about cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin. And that ties in with my journey for the past four years when I was setting up my company called Medical Chain. And we managed to raise $24 million uh, by being involved in that space. Cool. And essentially, Medical Chain works by allowing patients to take control of their medical records by using blockchain technology, the same technology that Bitcoin runs on to store the records. Have I got that right? Yeah, in a, in a, in a kind of roundabout way. I mean, the main thing is blockchain or this kind of technology, which, you know, if people want to learn about it, there's lots of great explainer videos on YouTube, but it's essentially an added layer of security of handling data, which most things today and in the near future are going to move towards and one of the first things that happened there was uh, finances or currencies or cryptocurrencies now. And we're trying to manipulate that same kind of technique, that same kind of technology to secure the storage of medical records. Yeah, I love it. Check out episode 10 if you want to know more about that, because I, I really love that idea. Uh, I think it's genius. Um, so when people ask me to explain how Bitcoin works, I usually say something like it's a distributed electronic register. And then they stare blankly back at me. And then I realize my explanation is not very good. But your explanation of how blockchain works is much, much better. So do you want to just give us a brief explanation of how the blockchain, the distributed electronic register, as I said, actually works? 
Yeah, so um, essentially there's three buzzwords to know, and that's decentralized, distributed, and ledger. So if you take a common example, let's say you and me and a room full of people are trying to share some information between ourselves. The way that blockchain works is it's decentralized. So the idea is that not me and Tommy and everybody else in the room represent the same team. I'm from Leeds, you're down south. Everybody's working in their own capacity, working for themselves. So it's decentralized across all of us. It's also distributed. So the idea is that we're not clumping together as a team. If there's 20 of us, 200 of us, 20,000 of us, all of us are individuals distributed across all of us is this network or this communication that's occurring. And then the last key bit to this is a ledger. So the idea is that what's being documented is distributed and decentralized across all of us. So the power of that is to say, if I send you a one pound coin, then everybody in that 20,000 strong network, which is distributed and decentralized. So we're not in cahoots with each other. We're not working together. We will all document in our ledger. Abdullah gave Tommy a one pound coin. So if I went back in the, in the past and I said, actually, Tommy, I never gave you that money. Um, you know, you should have given me 10 pounds. Everybody would look at their ledger who's not, uh, you know, biased towards you or me, has no allegiance towards us. I said, no, we all documented it in our ledger that Abdullah gave him a one pound coin. And that's the end of the matter. So every time this kind of transaction occurs, it is occurring as a block on the chain. And each time you add another transaction and another transaction, more blocks are added to the chain. And there is something called cryptography, which is essentially computer speak for something which is very complicated mathematically to make something secure. And the idea is that each time a block is added, that mathematical cryptography becomes more and more complex. So if we wanted to say, for example, how am I going to send money to Tommy without going through my bank? Well, I could send it like an email. We send emails all the time. Okay, but the problem if I send a picture of a five pound note as an email, you can copy that image, you can send it to somebody else, you can delete it, you can do all sorts of things with it. But if I send it as a digital currency, as a Bitcoin to you, that's now been stored on the network, it's done, it's finalized. So it's a very powerful way of moving funds or resources from one place to another place without having to go through a centralized system such as a bank, which is not distributed because they're all in cahoots with each other. And we are, using or reading the ledger, which is transparent to all of us, rather than it's just the banks on the inside that know what's happening between themselves. I love it. That's so much better than my explanation. And hopefully that's helped those of you who are not sure how blockchain works. I think it's really important to get that sorted early doors. So I've got an okay sized investment portfolio built from scratch, by the way, with my own bare working class, working class hands, basically 50% commercial property, 50% stocks, right? But I own no Bitcoin. And I rarely think about my portfolio. I just keep buying more as I save up more money and stick it into my investing plan uh, as per my asset allocation. But I've actually been thinking loads about crypto and maybe I've got a bit of FOMO, fear of missing out, uh, but I'm interested in it. But the reason I don't own any is for what I think are good reasons. So maybe I say like my concerns with cryptocurrency and you can tell me why I'm wrong. Is that a good way to go? Yeah, of course. So I suppose, you know, to just even start off on the back when you list your portfolio there, it's important to have a variety of investments and a variety of things that you're getting involved in. So if you think back to 2008, you know, the products you just mentioned there absolutely fell through their ass uh, and the stock market went down and the shares went down and the mortgages went up and the housing crisis occurred. So the more you can diversify, diversify your portfolio, the better. 
Yeah, I started investing in 2009, which retrospectively I was buying stocks and property at a tremendous discount, which was good. Um, cool. So I think the other thing to say is when we set a date for this podcast, it was late April and Bitcoin was absolutely at an all time high, about £45,000 per Bitcoin. Uh, and now it's July uh, and it's around £25,000. So three months, it's lost nearly 45% of its value. So I just wanted to say that uh, you know, I would have been happy to record this if one Bitcoin was worth a hundred thousand pounds. Uh, but fair play for coming on because Bitcoin is, uh, you know, not no longer in such a, a hot demand. Um, but none of my objections to Bitcoin are about the price, really. And I really hope it does hit a hundred thousand pounds or to the moon, I think is the lingo that you got to say. Loads right? of memes out there. Yeah. You've got to be yeah. part of the club to say that stuff. Yeah. I'm yeah. So, sorry. I'm definitely not. <laughs> I don't own any. So, but what I've just given what I've just said, right? Should we start by talking about one of the reasons why I don't own any Bitcoin and that or any crypto? And that's because of the volatility. Now, it's, it's lost nearly 45% of its value in three months. And that's not out of the ordinary. It's definitely lost more uh, in the distant past. Um, and I just like investments to be boring, low maintenance, and that leaves me plenty of free time to work as a doctor and the investments just tick away in the background. I don't I don't trade shares. I just got a boring investment plan, a set asset allocation, and I rarely change it. But Bitcoin's so volatile that I feel like I could go to work owning a Bitcoin worth 45 grand and I could come home and it's worth 22 grand. Uh, so I don't, I don't mind volatility per se, but I like to understand volatility. So like if I owned airline shares and then a pandemic came and no one can fly, airline shares go down. I understand why they went down. When the pandemic ends, I think they might go up. Not advice, obviously do your own research. But with Bitcoin, it feels to me like the volatility is driven by like if Elon Musk tweets diamond hands with two kisses, that's a sell. But if he if he tweets diamond hands with two rockets, that's a buy. It's just like I don't understand the volatility or what's controlling it. So tell me about the volatility and what you think about that. So, yeah, so I think off the bat, we have to both say this is no financial advice at all in this podcast whatsoever. Um, I would say that, yes, it has lost 40%, 50%, 60%, you know, whatever you want to quote in terms of now or historically, but like any investment that only counts if you bought it at an all-time high and then did the stupidest thing and sold it at an all-time low. So if you want to take two other kind of points in history, I'll just take the arbitrary 6th of July, 2020 and the 5th of July, 2021. 6th of July, it was 7,400 pounds. 28th of, oh, sorry, uh, 6th of July is now 25,000 pounds. So I've got an investment which is more than doubled, more than tripled. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good investment. I think the volatility by all means, if you look at any kind of new uh, product, uh, any new kind of currency historically through time, it is going to be very volatile because lots of people will be getting involved and swaying the market as has done Elon Musk as an example. However, I would say, what are you pegging this against? So always when you're comparing one asset to another, you have to compare like for like. So if we compare Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency with a real currency, let's say the dollar, for example, the dollar, the pound, sterling, very stable currencies. However, if you look over that same time period we just mentioned, they have been devaluing, depreciating and valuing continuously over that time frame. Whereas if you look at Bitcoin from 2008 when it started because of the crash until now, 2021, oh, it's extremely volatile. It bounces all over the place, but nothing compares to how it has appreciated in value and continued to appreciate in value in the past 13 years. So if I was having... 
you know, the opportunity to be very cash rich and I've got lots of disposable income, I would definitely put it into Bitcoin. Uh, I won't use the broader term cryptocurrency because that's more of a of a minefield, but I would certainly put it into Bitcoin itself because that's much more in the long term appreciating in value compared to leaving it in any kind of currency. I'd also, you know, remark on the kind of Elon Musk point. You know, Elon Musk, for people that follow kind of Bitcoin and, and, and Dogecoin and all, all sorts of kind of cryptocurrencies, he caused a real stir because he said that, that Tesla had invested a billion dollars into this. He said Teslas are now going to be bought with Bitcoins as well. So the price completely pumped. He then turned his back effectively on Bitcoin and Dogecoin and said, look, it could be a bit scammy. I'm not sure. And then he quoted some nonsense about the environment. And that's why he's he's backing down on the idea of Bitcoin. Even when you've had Elon Musk turn around, even when you've had the Chinese government try to ban this, Bitcoin is still sat as a rock bottom at £25,000. And I think that's the concept people need to get their head around. It doesn't matter how much negative news is thrown at this thing. It can go all the way down to £5,000. You still got some digital currency, which is worth thousands and thousands of pounds. And, you know, for people in my uh, year one GP training ST1, if any of them are listening to this podcast, they'll remember I gave them this talk and I gave them this speech. And I did tell them, look, guys, make sure you put a, a little bit aside here. And, you know, I hope in the future I'll be proven even more right than, than what's happened so far. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point. Like, I guess my point about volatility is that if you're an experienced investor and able to deal with volatility, you don't have a problem. But yeah, if you buy high and sell low, uh, which I think quite a few people might be because they're not <laughs> experienced, then you're going to have trouble. And uh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't say too much about Elon Musk's blatant pump and dump because his lawyers are definitely better than better than ours. But that was just blatant. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Um, another thing which people you know get concerned about, and I know I know you've got a good answer to this, but Bitcoin is totally unregulated. So what that means in practice is if a regulated professional like the financial advisors on Medic's Money give you bad advice, I mean, it's never going to happen, but if it did, uh, or they stole all your money, you're protected by the regulatory bodies who will sort it out and pay you a compensation. And like as doctors, we're regulated. So if, you know, if we make a mistake, we're regulated and the patients are protected. Bitcoin is totally unregulated. And if someone steals all your money, then that's it. And if you think that this won't ever happen, I got two words for you, Mount Gox. So Mount Gox was basically an exchange that got hacked and they lost, I think they lost like 850,000 Bitcoins or something and no yeah. one ever got done for it. But should we talk about the unregulated bit? Because I know that you've got a great comeback to this. Yeah, so I think I think the unregulated bit is a is a very fair argument to put against Bitcoin. I think again, you have to take a step back and realize what are we actually talking about here. We're not talking about an institution or a government or something that could be regulated. You're talking about a, a, a network which is on the internet, which crosses borders, crosses different industries, crosses crosses different socioeconomic. Uh, areas, you know, from Nigeria all the way up to America. There's lots of people involved in this kind of network and involved in profiteering and doing well out of this. I think if you do want regulation, then you have to take the rough with the smooth, because when you talk about regulation, yes, you're talking about the positives in terms of bailing out somebody if they've been hard done by, which doesn't happen as often as it does. And even when people talk about regulation, you know, I think about the kind of um, so-and-so bank has been fined $1 billion. Okay, did that reduce your tax or my tax? You know, we're cheering all these regulators, but it actually makes no difference to you and me on the ground. 
In terms of Mt. Gox, or there's been lots of uh, different scams or hacks, you'll always have corruption, you'll always have greedy people. And whether it was regulated or not, the main takeaway message I would say from that is you have to look at the headline, which is there was human error or human manipulation, which led to things being stolen. The actual technology behind Bitcoin has never been broken to date. No one has been able to steal a Bitcoin by unraveling that cryptography I was speaking about earlier. So if you have your own Bitcoin in your own wallet, which you'd store on your computer, your USB, or you just remember all your passphrases by memory, no one's ever going to get to that. If you put it on an exchange online, or well, it's like leaving your money with anybody, they could run away with it. I mean, the last thing I'd say about regulation is, you know, just funnily enough, when I was preparing for this podcast, yesterday on July the 5th, uh, Barclays UK tweeted, hi there, it's our responsibility to help protect your money. With this in mind, we've taken the decision to stop payments made by credit debit card to Binance until further notice to help keep your money safe. We're sorry for any disruption this may cause. Now, Binance, for people that don't know what that is, similar to Mt. Gox, huge, huge online um, crypto, um, cryptocurrency transfer company where you can buy and sell and do all sorts of things with it. What Barclays have essentially said there is it's our money, it's not yours, and we won't let you do with it what you want, which for me is just another amazing argument for why do we not hold our own assets, our own wealth by ourselves in our computers, in our USB sticks, or in our minds if we can remember what our passphrases are. When you've got banks coming along telling you where and when you can spend your money, where you've got governments such as what happened in Greece, where they just froze everybody's ATMs and said, look, you can have a 50 euros each for the week and good luck to you. And any anyone that's got more than, I think it was 80,000 euros in your account, we'll just write you an IOU and we'll get back to you. I think that's ludicrous personally. Um, and if people want to live in that kind of regulated system, then that's what you're signing up to as well. Yeah, I think as well, worth stressing your point that the technology that underlines the digital uh, Bitcoin technology has never been cracked. But it's just like basically some of the banks that hold the Bitcoin were possibly corrupt or someone left the safe door open. Human error, like you said. But the underlying blockchain, <clears throat> so far as we know, has never been cracked. I think that's an important distinction. And uh, yeah, I know you, you have a good, uh, a good riposte to that. So something else that you mentioned, uh, which actually is really attractive uh, to me and follows on from what you just said, is that Bitcoin is decentralized. And you already kind of hinted at the doomsday scenario where traditional fiat currencies like the dollar or pound have been printed uh, to excess and therefore you know some kind of doomsday currency collapse and what's left standing is bitcoin but what i observed when bitcoin took its tumble from 45 grand down to 22 grand is that on the on some of the big days where bitcoin was using 10 15% of its value the exchanges where people hold their Bitcoin crashed. So the whole point of Bitcoin is, as you said, that you can get it when you need it and no one's in control of it. But if you need to get it via an exchange and the exchange crashes, then you're in a similar situation as everybody else. So what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think again, you know, I suppose the defense you can always turn to as kind of get out of jail card is that this kind of movement or currency and it's in it's 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 in its infancy. Is what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say. Yeah, yeah. When you when you've only got a handful of websites that are managing this kind of volume of trading, it would make sense that the next five ten years, as as well as how Bitcoin has gained popularity, you can use 
Bitcoin now on PayPal. I bought my wife some Lush products the other day. I could pay in Bitcoin if I wanted to. So this thing has really gained momentum. And I think the more options you're going to have out there, then the chances of what occurred, as you mentioned, in some of those websites, some of those exchanges become more and more remote. And I wouldn't expect them to happen. I think, again, when it comes to these kind of trading websites, you need to shop around. It's like anything. You know, you shop around for your energy supplier, shop around for somebody that, you know, is reliable when you need to exchange your funds or, or withdraw your funds quite quickly. There's somebody that can do it promptly with a very low fee. Yeah. Um and if I understand correctly, part of what triggered the price collapse uh, that we're talking about from in Bitcoin is because it looked like, well, China did ban it. Okay, so China bans it. But if it's decentralized, as you say, then why is banning it a problem? Because, you know, if China bans it, no worries, like it's decentralized and, and it's not a problem, right? But what I would say is that it is decentralized, but as soon as you need to convert Bitcoin into another unit of value, e.g. cash, gold, uh, Lamborghinis, or whatever, right? It, at that point, it becomes centralized because you've got to get it out. But so, so why do you think that the Chinese banning it had such a big impact on the price, if it truly is decentralized? So I think from the Chinese banning it or anybody banning it or causing issues in it in the future, from a will it continue to work and run and operate? Yes, it will have no effect on it whatsoever. It's a network over the internet. In terms of why would the price drop or why would it have such an effect is simply because there's other people involved in Bitcoin that are essentially investors. You know, these are people that are buying and selling in gold, wheat, oil. And it's the same thing. If they, they're not in it for the long run, this is not a disposable income for them. This is daily trading for them. And if they can hear of bad news, which is on its way and they know the price is going to crash, one, they're going to sell it. But I promise you the next thing they're going to do is buy it when it's down again, because they know this thing's going to bounce back as it has done time and time again. And I just um, I was thinking of another point now, Tommy, when you mentioned about withdrawing funds from a bank. Have you tried to withdraw more than £20,000 from your bank account in one go? Yeah, they like, yeah. treat you like a criminal. Yeah, it's, it's your own money and they'll treat you like a criminal. And God forbid you try to buy a house, they'll charge you for taking your own money out of your account. And God forbid you try transferring money from one place to another place. It has to go from your local bank to the central bank to another person's central bank to their local bank. I don't know how many fees are along that journey, and it might end up in your account in four or five days' time. So yeah. whatever troubles there are in the infancy of cryptocurrency, it's far better than what's happening at the moment. Same for when I lived in New Zealand and I tried to send some cash back home or vice versa. The fees are eye-watering. The process is absolutely mind-bogglingly slow, like international bank transfers. I think it's got a bit better, but it's still pretty expensive. So no, I, I can say I love that idea that it's decentralized. I'm just slightly skeptical that it is as decentralized as you say, because as soon as you need to translate it back into value, you got a problem. Um, another thing which you mentioned earlier, and the only reason that uh, Elon Musk decided that Tesla would uh, not uh, accept it as a currency, and it wasn't a pump and dump, honest, uh, is ESG. Like, let's talk about this, because I've seen some kind of stats that you know how much energy it uses and stuff and and maybe we should talk a bit about mining for those that don't understand or know about that sure so we take a step back and we'll go back to this process of okay how are these blocks being formed and they're being formed by something called mining so the idea is when i'm doing that transaction where i sent tommy a pound earlier you'll have a set of computers with graphics cards which are all trying to process an equation or, or solve some kind of puzzle. And whichever machine solves that puzzle, it would have mined that block to say, Abdullah sent Tommy a pound. I've mined that block. That's now in the blockchain. 
Here's a reward for that miner for doing that equation so quickly, and they will generate their own Bitcoin as, as part of a reward. And essentially, that's the fee. So when you're sending uh, Bitcoin between different people or between different industries, there is a nominal fee. It's tiny compared to what you're sending, and, and you know, it doesn't even compare to what banks take these days. The mining aspect is a computer which is using energy and processing a very powerful graphics card to do those equations. Now, when Bitcoin started in 2008, to do those calculations was very, very easy. You could do it on your mobile phone, you could do it on a laptop. It didn't take much computing power. There's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoins ever mined in existence. So it's like, imagine all the gold has been mined out of the earth. There's only ever gonna be 21 million Bitcoins ever mined by calculation. Each time a Bitcoin is mined, the calculation becomes more and more complex. And we've got to the point where around 18, 19 million Bitcoins have been mined. But to actually get to the very last 21 million Bitcoins, you're looking at the year 2150 or something like that, because the equations become so complex. The argument that I've heard against Bitcoin is, well, if you've got all these graphics cards now doing more and more complex equations and you've got all these mining rigs, so people have invested in huge warehouses full of graphics cards just doing these equations just to mine and produce their own Bitcoin for themselves, how can we justify this energy consumption? Now, there's, I think the argument, again, if you take a step back and you look at it as a whole, is a complete nonsensical argument. The first thing to say is that energy consumption is not the equivalent of energy production, and it's not the equivalent of energy pollution. So if you've got something such as energy consumption occurring by these graphics cards, you have to ask, well, where are they getting the energy from? They're getting the energy from the cheapest energy source they can. People involved in mining are all about making profits. So they're going to go for renewable energies and they're going to go for waste energy. So this is whenever the grid is producing energy, there's always a certain percentage which is overmade by the tidal waves, by the, the, the giant fans, by the solar panels. And Bitcoin miners are going to use that waste energy to do these kind of processes and to, to use that to do the mining. So that's the first thing to mention. The second thing to mention is it doesn't matter when people quote, and I've seen on the BBC, it uses as much energy as Argentina did this year. Okay, you're talking about a whole global network, which is not going to infinitely grow in size because we already said that it's a set figure. And you're trying to compare that like for like with what? The banking system, which is full of buildings, full of lorries, transferring masses of paper money, masses of gold bullion. You've got machines which are printing money. You've got God knows how many people switching on lights and in offices and, and how much fuel and airplanes and everything else. So you can't really compare like for like. So it's an easy dig to have at Bitcoin. But I would argue that you were converting excess energy or waste energy into a store of value, which is Bitcoin, which is much better than saying we converted that excess energy into a cup of coffee or a microwave or an oven or something else. This is the most valuable conversion you could think of. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what, what spooked Elon, but that was apparently his major concern, yeah, the ESG yeah, I, concern. <laughs> I think he, he's he's well aware of um, Bitcoin and its energy consumption, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he dove back in there and bought more when the price went down. Of course he did. It was the most obvious pump and dump I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, allegedly, uh, let's move on. Um, you talked a bit about uh, something that you just bought. Uh, you used some Bitcoin uh, to buy something. Um and it's been around since 2009, I think, but it's still not in widespread adoption as a currency replacement, shall we say. And one reason I think 
that might be is because it's just so volatile. Like, let's say you agree to sell me something for one Bitcoin. Today, it could be 40 grand. Tomorrow, it could be 80 grand. And then we have to renegotiate again tomorrow. I mean, what would you say to people that say it's just too volatile at the moment to be a legitimate currency replacement? Yeah, I think I think that would be a fair argument. I would not disagree with that. I think the thing that people need to realize, you know, when we're having this conversation is we're not talking about black and white solutions here. There's going to be a long gray period for something to come in and replace something else. And again, you have to be a bit cynical and skeptical when you've got a all-encompassing worldwide powerful banking system and you tell them, I think this is a better way of doing things digitally where we don't need to go through you to send funds. Of course, they're going to rebel against this. And of course, they're going to push media stories to rebel against this. This was the same when somebody came and we used to trade in pearls. And then somebody came and said, look, I think we should trade in silver. And then somebody came and said, we should trade in gold. Whoever's got the most, you know, hoarding the collection of pearls or silver is never going to want to swap to gold because now I'm going to be the poor person. And in terms of the volatility, yeah, when Bitcoin started in 2008, uh, there's a famous story where somebody, somebody bought a slice of pizza for 12,000 Bitcoins as like one of the first transactions. And today that would be worth 300 million pounds, that slice of pizza. Um, so yeah, the volatility is definitely true. It's definitely real. But I think we're going to get to a point as more and more Bitcoin is mined and as it takes longer and longer to produce one of these Bitcoins because of how complex and tough this algorithm has been, you're going to note that the price is going to start stabilizing. And I would say at its current value of £25,000, I think it's undervalued for what it is, where it is and where it's going and all the other institutions which are going to jump in soon enough. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still not convinced. But one strategy I have like actively considered would be what you call picks and shovels. So basically, right, during the gold rush, um, you know, in San Francisco, the first person to make a million dollars from gold was not a gold miner, but a man or woman who sold uh, shovels and picks to the gold miners. And you could take a similar approach to Bitcoin or crypto. You could say, look, I don't want to buy crypto directly, but I could effectively buy the picks and the shovels. And one thing that did catch my eye was the Coinbase uh, initial public offering. So Coinbase is a big exchange and they floated on the uh, American stock market. Um, but uh, I didn't do anything. And uh, I think it's, it was valued at more than Morgan Stanley, which uh, wasn't really to my liking. But what do you think about a picks and shovels approach? Like don't buy the crypto directly, but buy exchanges or other things that support it? Do you think that's got legs? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of borderlining on, on financial advice. Okay, uh, yep. <laughs> I mean, what you know, just just to chew the fat, I would say if you if you don't fully believe in Bitcoin because you don't believe all the things that I've said, then to then invest in a company which is founded by the notion that this thing is not going to crash doesn't make sense to me. If you believe in that company, then you believe in what they're doing, and if you believe in what they're doing, just go straight to the source and you can buy it. And you know, when we're using these huge numbers, you know, we spoke about twenty five thousand. Pounds per Bitcoin. You don't actually have to buy one whole Bitcoin. It goes down to a divisible decimal of eight places. So it's a hundred millionth. So if you wanted to buy one penny's worth of Bitcoin, you can feel free to own one penny's worth of Bitcoin. Um, so you don't have to go the whole hog if you're not fully convinced is what I'd say, Tommy. Yeah, good point, that good point. Um, now I heard about this uh, scam coin the other day, right? So the scam coin is there's 27 trillion in circulation, unlimited supply cap, 
25% of the supply of this scam coin was made in the last six months, printed in the last six months, and 1% of holders own 30% of the, uh, the scam coin. And of course, that scam coin is the American dollar, okay? So that <laughs> describes the American dollar. I mean, you hinted at this earlier, but should we talk about this, this uh, sort of belief amongst Bitcoin fanatics that the money printing that we've seen in the last year has been unprecedented of these fiat currencies uh, and they are somehow going to crash because, yeah, those numbers, that scam coin that I just described is the US dollar. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really dangerous place we find ourselves um, when it comes to traditional currency because this is literally not backed by anything. You know, there, there's no gold bullion or the Federal Reserve or whatever you want to refer to it. This is literally just paper money, made up money, which is being printed to just keep uh, propelling a system. And at the end of the day, that's not going to work long term. Inflation, interests, people are going to want their money back. It's all going to come to a crashing halt at some point. I wouldn't say, again, you know, there's kind of, there's a great period here now, a great area where people need to realize that we do depend on dollars. We do depend, depend on, on, on pounds and, and other currencies. I couldn't live in my house if I, if I didn't interact in the system. But I would say that even the Bank of England, even the US government are looking at forming their own cryptocurrencies because they realize that the way that they're doing things is not sustainable. And only because of COVID have they got away with this kind of, um, you know, really irresponsible printing of money. Um, and I think it's going to come to a head. You know, we, we, we look to other countries such as Zimbabwe or Venezuela, and we think, look at them, look at what they're doing, look at how their money's become monopoly money. Uh, and you won't be surprised if that starts happening to us in the next couple of decades. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a concern, definitely. Um, okay, this was an amazing run through. Uh, I think, you know, you've clearly demonstrated your expertise in, in the crypto space. I mean, I know one thing that we definitely agree on is that a lot of people are going to make a lot of money in crypto, but a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money in crypto. And I think those that lose the most will be inexperienced investors. And a problem that I have is that those inexperienced investors will lose a lot of money and they'll have a negative investing experience. And then they'll think that that's what investing is like highly volatile, highly risky, you worked super hard to earn that money. And then it just disappeared into the ether. That is not what investing is. You know, Bitcoin is a highly speculative, volatile asset. It is not investing in my view, but anyway. Um, but I think, you know, it's going to put off a lot of people and have a negative first experience in investing, especially those inexperienced. What do you think about that? And how can we somehow stop or help those inexperienced investors? Yeah, I think, I think investors are going to have a bad time if they make bad decisions. And that's been seen in GameStop and other traditional investments. Yeah. So again, yeah. you know, we come back to the volatility and why Bitcoin is, is, you know, or cryptocurrency in general is considered highly volatile, but so are other stocks and shares and traditional uh, things that we give value to. I would say if somebody was going to try to get into this space, the general advice, not financial advice, just advice to a friend, never invest in something you're not happy to lose. So we're really talking about excess disposable income, not this is my children's education. You know, this is to secure the, the roof over our heads. That's always crazy talk. Nothing is guaranteed. So even though I've been so bullish and boisterous about Bitcoin, if I lost all of my Bitcoin assets tomorrow and it goes to zero pounds tomorrow, I still have a roof over my head. I still can feed myself. I'm still a doctor. I'm still working, thankfully. And that's my get out of jail card. And I think other people need to think that way as well. 
I would say if you were going to invest in something, there's always this correlation between high risk and high reward. So if you want something which is very stable, very regulated, very boring, you know, as, as you put it, Tommy, yeah, there's lots of kind of ices and kind of traditional things. It's going to give you pittance return. And in the end, whatever return you're going to have, the depreciation and value of the money that you stored it in is going to catch up with whatever you invested in the first place. <laughs> or you're going to get taxed through the nose because it's some kind of land or property or something else you need to pay taxes towards. So I would always say, try to diversify your portfolio. If you're very comfortable in the other kind of materialistic things, try try something with Bitcoin. And I don't think you'll regret it. I love it. Um, I would just counter that by saying getting rich quick is always very difficult, but getting wealthy slowly using a low risk, well diversified portfolio uh, is not uh, that risky. And uh, getting rich slowly is relatively easy. Okay. Um, I mean, like, I just, I love the use of blockchain for medical records. I love what you're doing there. I'm really, we haven't even talked about NFTs, but I'm really excited about those. Maybe we should talk about them another time. I actually do think like a digital currency will become a thing It's because it just makes sense on so many levels. But I've got no idea whether it will be Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin or any of the other coins or more likely, as you hinted, a central bank issued di digital currency. I think I think that could happen, definitely. And I really do hope Bitcoin does go to the moon. I think that's what you say. Uh, I'm enjoying watching the show from afar without having any skin in the game. Um, meanwhile, my super boring portfolio continues to just build my wealth slowly but surely. Um, so thank you so much for your time today, Abdullah. That was awesome. Um, any parting words of wisdom? I mean, I think what you just said about investing, you know, don't invest more than you can afford to lose. You've got to believe in your investments. And that's why I don't buy Bitcoin, as you might have noticed. Um, any more parting words of wisdom? And also, more importantly, where can people find out about uh, Medical Chain and you? Yeah, no, so, so thanks again, you know, for inviting me on a second time now to, to push my propaganda machine. <laughs> um, in terms of Medical Chain, you can always go to our website, medicalchain.com. And in terms of our telemedicine, you can always look at myclinic.com. Uh, you'll always find me on LinkedIn, and I'm sure you'll you'll have the courtesy of putting my link on LinkedIn there, Tommy. And people, I'm always happy as we you know met each other on LinkedIn and we reached out to each other. Yep. So I'm always happy to respond to any questions people have. I think when it comes to financial things, it might sound corny, but I'm a massive fan of Medics Money, as you know. Um, and I would say that every single episode that you guys produce, there is valuable, valuable information. And I've personally used the Medics Money service when I wanted to find out about my NHS pension and what I should have done about that. So I think if you are a medic and you are trying to improve your wealth in time, then don't miss any of the Medic Money episodes. Uh, maybe you want to skip this Bitcoin one. It's not for the faint-hearted, but things will come good. As long as you have a clear plan, you don't over hedge what you're trying to do, then things will come in time. It just depends when you want to enjoy your money, when you're 50 and you're bald or whether you're in your 30s and you want fast cars now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fast car kind of guy, but I'm also not bald, so I don't know where I sit there. Um, that was so kind, so generous. And yeah, you've been so uh, generous and supportive of Medics Money, like really, really helped us. And I do think this episode will be useful for so many people because we get so many questions about this. And I think you, you're talking a lot of sense about the crypto space. So thank you so much for your time once again. And I look forward to having you back on the Bitcoin uh, on the Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> wow, maybe we should. Propaganda has worked. The propaganda oh my has worked. Just, just get, you've got it in my mind. I'm off to buy some. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to having you on the Medics Money podcast again. Take care. Yes, Tommy.